American soccer fans, welcome to episode 72 of the Stars and Stripes FC podcast. Donald Wine here, manager of Stars and Stripes FC, your source for all things U.S. national teams, players that comprise them, and everything else surrounding the game of soccer in America. Happy Tuesday. We have reached the international window, and the U.S. men's national team have three important World Cup qualifiers coming up over the next nine days. So this episode is about previewing those matches for the United States. Match days 9, 10, and 11 in the octagonal round of qualification. We are here. First up, a match this Thursday, January 27th, in Columbus at Lower.com Field against El Salvador. The U.S. men's national team then hit the road to Hamilton, Ontario, for a huge road match on Sunday, January 30th at Canada at Tim Hortons Field. Adam Palermo from Wake in the Red, the SB Nation blog that covers Toronto FC and also covers the Canada national teams, is going to join us later to talk more about that particular match. Finally, the men's national team will head to Allianz Field in St. Paul, Minnesota to close out the window with a home match against Honduras on Groundhog Day, February 2nd. It's a unique window for us because of the delays caused by COVID over the last couple of years, and it puts the men's national team squarely in the cold. Three cities where the players may not see a temperature above 25 degrees on any of the three match states, but it's important for guys to be ready for the cold and mentally prepare for it. I was on U.S. Soccer's media availability late last week, and Paul Ariola and Walker Zimmerman were able to speak during that press conference, and I have some audio from that press conference that I thought was interesting enough to share. Both players were asked about how they plan to prepare for the cold. And first, I want you to hear Paul Ariola's response on how he prepares for games in the bitter cold. Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, look, I think the staff, um, you know, on the national team do a, do a tremendous job and we have full confidence in them um, to prepare us. And obviously we have our own duties uh, as professional players. Uh, and players on the national team to be as, as, as ready as possible for every condition. Uh, I've played in some cold weather, weather before, um, and I think most of, most of the players on this team have. Um, and, you know, it, I think it's an opportunity for us. Uh, you know, we're going to embrace it. We're going to be ready. Um, you know, the, the fans will be there. And, and regardless of the condition, uh, our goal is to go out there and win uh, and, 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 and play the best of, you know, the best to our ability, no matter, uh, you know, what the, what the forecast says. So Paul's right. The training staff is going to have his work cut out for them in getting these players ready to play in these cold conditions. I'm from Michigan originally. I've had more than my fair share of track meets and soccer games where we competed in bitter cold or practice in the snow. Getting your muscles ready to perform at a high level, it gets tricky when you have that kind of cold weather. It takes longer to warm up. It's easier to pull muscles and it, it just it, you just don't feel yourself. You feel kind of restricted. So our guys will have to make sure they're taking care of their bodies, not just between games, but before and during the games as well to make sure they can perform at that high level. But I mentioned that Walker Zimmerman also had a response, and I really liked his response to playing in the bitter cold because it brought back warm memories of what was a cold but legendary night. Listen to this. Well, I, I for one, I'm really excited. You know, I look back at some of my first times watching the men's national team and, and seeing that game in Colorado against Costa Rica um, sticks out in my head. And I was even talking to my wife over the break. I was like, man, I want it. I want it to be freezing. I want it to be cold. I want it to snow. I want to be a part of something so iconic that I saw and like really remember growing up. Like that's exciting to me. So I think the guys were ready to embrace it, embrace the cold. Um, 
and, and it'll be, you know, a really good environment for, for us fan wise as well. See, that's what I'm talking about. Like I said, I'm from Michigan. I grew up loving cold weather. That has not changed in adulthood. I am a polar bear. I don't care. I'm the guy that says it's January. It's supposed to be cold. We're supposed to have feet of snow. Let's go. So I'll tell you, I, I had to buy cold gear for this match. True cold gear with jackets and hats and thermal underwear and Gore-Tex boots and all that. Because living here in Washington, D.C., it just does not get cold enough for me most winters to rattle my cage. We've had some cold weather this winter, but it ain't what I'm used to and what I enjoy. Feet of snow and temperature is so cold, you question your existence in this part of the metaverse. That's just how I'm built. I'm built a little different. Some people don't like the cold. I am one of those people that love the cold. But to point at the Snow Classico of 2013, that cold night in Denver where it snowed and like 100,000 people claimed to have been in the stands witness is a great shout. Because like Walker said, it's an opportunity to create another lasting memory for these players and for the fans that will be there. And I'm glad that Walker Zimmerman, for one, is truly embracing this unique window and saying, give me snow, give me cold, let's do this. So putting the cold aside, the U.S. has nine available points up for grabs in this window. And right now, they're entering the crunch time of World Cup qualifying. El Salvador in Columbus, that's a must win for me. Got to win your home games, especially against El Salvador, who is second to last in the octagonal. Sure, we drew them on the road to open up the octagonal round, but at home, we should definitely have the advantage here. We'll talk about Canada more later, but that match is a toss-up. You'd love to get a road win or otherwise leave with a result, but that's a tough match and probably a match of the window in CONCACAF. Speaking of that match, it takes place at Tim Hortons Field, which is a turf field. And I got to ask Walker Zimmerman about the effects of playing on turf, which is something that our domestic base players are used to experiencing, but the European base players may not have played on turf in a long time, if ever. So here's what we had to say about the turf. Well, I think each surface obviously plays in different ways. Um, but at the same time, I think the, the main focus for us is going to be our starting points. It's going to be the intensity, uh, the competitiveness, our ability to come out and dictate how the game is going to go. And, and I think the turf becomes secondary at that point. It's not a conversation of, you know, be careful about how you play the ball because it might skip up a little bit or it might die a little bit. Sure, some things like that may be mentioned, but it's not going to be the primary focus for our group. It's going to be all about our mentality, our starting points, um, our tactics, and, and we're going to go from there. So I think they'll be excited just to be playing, representing their country, and, and that's going to take precedent over any type of field condition. So he's not worried about the cold turf up in Hamilton, which is great. And I think I agree that the bigger focus is on the game plan and not on the turf. But it hopefully will not be a huge factor with so many guys that are used to playing on turf. But it's also not something we see very often in men's international play. And that'll be something to watch. So that's Canada. As I mentioned, we will talk about that match more later on this episode. And then finally, we have Honduras at home in St. Paul. We beat them in Honduras with that incredible second half back in September. Right now, Honduras is reeling. They're in last place in the octagonal. They have not played well at all, and we shouldn't give them any confidence in the cold in Minnesota. Take them out of the game early, super early. Put it away early. Make it where you can rest some guys after a very, very long window and a very cold window. So while a nine-point window is in reach, seven in my mind, feels more realistic. And six is the absolute baseline. You have to win your two home games. And then you, again, you toss up what you will with the Canada game on the road. 
Here's the deal, though. Pending other results in this window, the U.S. have a great chance to be assured of at least top four positioning in the octagon, which would mean they could finish no worse than in the interconfederation playoff. That's big. There are a few scenarios that could lock up a top four place for the United States. And, but here's the goal. The goal is getting in that top three. And there is one scenario out there that is even better, but less realistic. And they can assure, and the U S could assure themselves of no worse than a third place finish, which would secure qualification for the 2022 world cup. That scenario, the U S has to win all three matches and have either Panama or Mexico lose all three of their matches in this window. They both cannot lose all three of their matches because they play each other in match day 11, the final one of the window. They also need Costa Rica to get no fewer than five points and Jamaica to get no more than seven points in this window. Again, super unlikely. But if that happens, the United States are back in the World Cup. But none of this matters unless the U.S. wins all three matches. So everything starts with them taking care of their own business. And so I think because of that, I and I know all of you cannot wait to see what transpires over the next nine days with these three games. We'll pause right here. And on the other side of the break, we speak with Adam Palermo from Wake in the Red about what we can expect from the biggest match of the window, USA-Canada. Be right back. We are back, and as mentioned before the break, the biggest match in CONCACAF this window will take place on January 30th at Tim Hortons Field in Hamilton, Ontario. There, the United States will try to break off a road win against Canada in a matchup between the top two teams in the octagonal table. So I thought it was a good idea to try and unpack what we could see when these two teams hit the field against each other. And I have someone here who knows the Canada team very well, so he's here to help me out. To get to know the Canadian national team a little bit better is Adam Palermo. Adam is a contributor for Waking the Red, the SB Nation blog that covers Toronto FC and also covers the Canadian national team. So, Adam, thank you very much for taking the time and welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. So, Adam, for those who haven't been able to see Canada play so far during this octagonal round for American fans outside of that match back in September between the two teams, they're first in the table. What has made Canada so successful to this point in World Cup qualifying? I would say a main point has been just the overall coaching and I would say a shift in just like team culture and identity. And John Herdman has like done an amazing job just like shaping the team into how he sees fit. And I think just like having an identity in how the team shapes up and just having a group together that seems to just work together and like get along well with one another. That's been like the huge, like talking point for Canadian soccer, because it's obviously been gone through its fair share of dark days, even like in the past few years. So it's been a seismic shift, I would say in that regard. Yeah. And you've had a lot of great players that have been performing very well, but you will be without an incredible, very important player at this window, Alfonso Davies, who will not play as he seeks to recover from myocarditis that was brought on from battling COVID. Arguably, in my mind, the best player in all of CONCACAF. So 
how does Canada have to adjust on the field, both offensively and defensively without Fonzie in that lineup? Yeah, without a doubt, he's our star player and definitely like the face of Canadian soccer. And yeah, like you said, probably one of the best players in CONCACAF at the moment. So it will be a big adjustment and he's, it's obviously kind of impossible to replace the quality he brings to our team. But having said that, I think with the way Canada plays, he usually plays a bit higher up compared to his role with Bayern Munich. And Canada has some talents that I think will be able to create on the wings and use their pace. Like a guy like uh, Tejan Buchanan, I think he can kind of step up during this window and maybe take on that role and play a bit higher up than he has in the previous uh, window at wingback. You mentioned Tejan Buchanan, who MLS fans will be very familiar with. He's had a great year uh, in 2021 and both for club and country. Maybe give us another player who American fans may not have heard of that you think they should pay attention to when these two teams play. I think Richie Larea is someone who can maybe he'll be given a bit more license to go up the field a bit more because that is his strong suit. He usually plays at right wing back for uh, Team Canada. So I think he might be given a more a role which allows him to kind of go into the areas that Alfonso Davies would on the left, but Larea will likely be on the right. And I think he can kind of provide that spark and kind of that energy and also maybe that uh, crossing ability that Davies usually provides. He's coming off a move to Nottingham Forest. So he'll be looking to, I think he's just been in training with them. So I think he's going to want to kind of kick into form with the national team and then get things started over in England. Yeah. And another, he's another guy that has kind of been up and coming and his transfer to Nottingham Forest, as you mentioned, was one I know that hit uh, the wires here in the United States and got people per- perking their ears and eyes as to who, uh, and what he is. So uh, that's a very great shout. Uh, focusing on the team as, as a whole, when this game happens, obviously we played to a stalemate back in September, but what are some of the strengths that Canada will rely upon when they host the United States? Again, this is a different animal. It's going to be cold. It's going to be in Hamilton uh, and it's going to be a game where Canada is, is the top dog in the, in the table and not the United States. Yeah, I think it's an interesting one, especially as it's kind of sandwiched between uh, two away matches in Central America for Canada. So I think it'll be interesting to see Herdman's approach. But having said that, um, like you mentioned, Canada is in first place. And I think kind of they'll be going into every match thinking like we can win this, even though USA is obviously a formidable opponent. So, but I still think it'll be interesting to see kind of how he lines the team up if he kind of is trying to play a more defensive game, like was seen and uh, in Nashville earlier on in the window or early on in the qualification. But I think uh, with missing Davies, that might be the approach, but I think with the options like Jonathan David, Tejan Buchanan, Kyle Laren, like John Herman should feel good about his sides, like chances of scoring and being able to, being able to create chances against the States. Yeah. So Jonathan David was the guy I, I was intrigued by because he, you know, at one point, I don't know if he is right now, but at one point he was leading league in goal scored. He's been very doing very, very well over there. 
You have Kyle Aaron, who's been playing very well in Europe as well. Again, MLS fans would be very familiar with him in his time in Orlando City. How do those two guys complement each other? And what does that pose? What I guess what dangers does that pose for opposing center backs? Yeah, I think uh, obviously Jonathan David's having a fantastic season over in France, um, definitely in the form of his life and playing in that top league. So that's a huge benefit for Canada, especially when they're missing Davies. But it, it is interesting because against Mexico, Kyle Laren got the start and obviously he scored. So, And those two don't play together too often. So Jonathan David seems like the obvious choice up front, but in a big game in the past, uh, Herdman has gone with Laren. So it will be interesting to see who gets the call in that regard. But yeah, um, just having those two options up front poses a, a huge threat for uh, USA backline, I would say. But getting the service into them, I think, will be kind of the main uh, the main struggle, I guess I would say, or the main uh, goal for uh, Canada in this match. Would they offer, or would you guys deploy them as as a, kind of a two person front front man position, like you know a four four two, or do you think one will be on the field and then the other may come and dispel the other? Well, Jonathan David has lots of experience playing in a front two uh, with Lille and. Canada has been pretty, or John Herdman has been pretty fluid with the formation, but I think he has gone with either like a 3-4-3 shape or a 4-4-2 shape. So I think with Alfonso Davies missing, maybe he goes with the more um, typical 4-4-2 shape with Laren and David. And I guess he'll see how that kind of works in training heading up to the match. And maybe he'll try that in the uh, match before that against Honduras. Maybe he'll see how that goes, and if it if it looks like it's working, maybe he'll go with it again because it would be a huge benefit to have both of those guys um, up top for Canada. And you mentioned it earlier, but we got to talk about the logistics. You you just talked about the fact that this match is in the middle of a three match window. They're in Central America before and after the game against the United States in Hamilton. Are Canada fans concerned at all about the players being in the heat and then traveling back to the bitter cold and then going back to the heat of Central America, particularly when the U.S. is just embracing it all out and kind of like Canada did in November, they're just playing all their games in the bitter cold? Yeah, it's definitely an interesting point you bring up. I hadn't really thought about the uh, the difference in temperature between the games. So I was more so thinking about just the travel times and like the logistics with that. Um, yeah, with that situation. But yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it will be interesting to see the adjustments. I think these guys are definitely used to the uh, varying climates, having played in Europe and then over here in Canada. And some of the guys in uh, MLS are usually, they go all over the continent, obviously. So they'll be kind of used to it. But yeah, um, it will be, I think, the most challenging part will just be the timing-wise with only two days between those three, the the three matches. I think that will be the main uh issue Herdman has and especially with some of the veteran guys like Hutchinson and Stephen Vittori at the back it'll be interesting to see what matches they're selected for and if they're given the rest maybe in the first match yeah I think the window is just a struggle uh for everyone players coaches fans media um, I, I feel like these windows come very quick and they are very very brutal but um of course there's great interest in this match in particular on both sides of the border a sold out Tim Hortons field which normally seats over 23,000, but as you know, uh, being up there, 
there's been a lot of COVID restrictions up in Ontario uh, and a lot of rumors swirling about what will happen with this match. How do you think that will affect the atmosphere of what would normally be a packed donut box? Yeah, it's definitely a, a shame that uh, the restrictions have kind of come back in Ontario around this time. And when the game was announced, it was looking like it would be a full stadium. But as things stand now, it's looking like it'll be 50%, which obviously isn't terrible, but isn't ideal either for hosting a game of this magnitude. Um, so yeah, that is kind of a drawback, I would say, for Canada going into this one. I think they I think they really enjoy playing uh, in front of their fans, especially in the kind of smaller stadiums like BMO Field. I think it was a really great atmosphere being there and just like everyone like so packed and like close together. Like it was, I think uh, the Canadian players really like strive off that energy that's created by the fans. So it will be a different experience, but uh, yeah, we'll just have to kind of create their own energy going into it and it should still be a good, good turnout in Hamilton. Yeah, I, I know I'm going up for the game. Uh, I, I, we were talking before that you have tickets to the game, so I, I, don't, I don't think the people there are going to be uh, anything less than super excited, uh, no matter how many people are in that building. So uh, to wrap up, a couple of things I want to ask you. Uh, this yep. is a fill-in-the-blank question. If Canada does blank, they will win this match. I would say just create service from the midfield and from the flanks. I think that's kind of the main um point of emphasis that Herman will be looking towards. I think, yeah, especially with the absence of Davies. And we will, uh, we have to end with predictions. I know you're a Canada fan, no shame in, in whatever your prediction is, but if someone says, Adam, what is the final score going to be? Give it to the people. I'll play it safe and go with a one, one. One, one, one. I'll take it. We'll, I think we'll both take the points there. That's great. Um, yeah. Adam Palermo, he writes for Wake in the Red, our sibling SB Nation blog covering Toronto FC and the Canadian national teams. Uh, before we get out of here, Adam, why don't you tell the folks where they can find you and the work that you guys are doing at Wake in the Red on social media? Yeah, so you can uh, check out Waking the Red, the blog. And then uh, we also have a Twitter account, just at Waking the Red. And then if you wanted to... Follow me on Twitter. My ad is APAL41. And uh, yeah. Awesome. Everyone go follow Adam. Definitely stay tuned to Wake in the Reds coverage uh, to learn more about Canada as they progress during World Cup qualifying. But Adam, thank you so much for being on the Stars and Stripes FC podcast. I really you. appreciate you coming on. And of course, uh, from American fan to a Canadian fan, best of luck on the Thank 30th. you. You too. Thank you. A special thanks to Adam Palermo for joining me to talk about USA Canada. Really appreciated his insight. A lot of great information from him about this Canadian team. And we're now prepared to take these three matches on. So if you're headed to Columbus, Hamilton, or St. Paul, I will see you there. Bundle up. Bring all the layers and the hand warmers. It's going to be a cold one. Even I'm telling you it's going to be cold. So prepare yourself. I will try to dive into the world of Twitter spaces and hopefully do one from the road. So look out for that during these qualifiers on Twitter, either on the, the Stars and Stripes handle at Stars Stripes FC or my personal one at DW. We will also have all the coverage over at StarsAndStripesFC.com. So get ready for all the content and please join the discussion throughout this important international break. That will do it for episode 72 of the Stars and Stripes FC podcast. Again, thank you all so much for listening. As always, 
Make sure you subscribe to this podcast. Rates and reviews are awesome and they really help. So five stars if you like what you're hearing. If you have questions for the show, again, we have an email address. Send them to ssfcpodcast at gmail.com. So until next time, whether it be through Twitter or on the next episode, we'll see you soon. Take care.